0: Welcome to Church Project, we're glad that you're here today. Uh, We're a gathering of people that love Jesus, we're a church, and we love the mission of Jesus in this world, and and we want to live that out together It's a church. We're also a project, just an ongoing pursuit to discover what Christ originally intended church to be, and so we're figuring this thing out. We don't have it all put together, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like tomorrow morning to wake up as a Christian, but we do know that, that God's good, amen? We know that His love for us is good. And it's, it's just awesome to be together as a family. So we're glad that you're here today. Um, I want to make a couple announcements. One, if, if you have the version Bible app, you can open that up and, and just search for the events. And our notes are on there. You can download those notes for the message today. So when you go to house church this week on either Tuesday or, or Wednesday, then you can use those notes just to talk through and dialogue about the message and the passage. Like our monologue's good on Sunday morning. I, I look good. This is great. But Tuesday and Wednesdays, when we're talking back and forth over Scripture, like, that's powerful. So I'd encourage all of you to be involved in a house church if you aren't already. Um, And then also, if you're a first-time guest or you're not getting our emails, then you could go on your phone right now, go to our website, churchprojectgreeley.org, scroll to the bottom, put your name and email address in there, and you'll just be um, updated every week as to what's happening at Church Project. Like, for example... On August 24th, raise your hand if you're going to be here. Peter. Jay, you better raise your hand. Mike, are you going to be here? No, I just. Okay. All right. Okay. I'll stop picking on you because I'm not supposed to do I'm not supposed to break this barrier and have you talk to me. So, hey, August 24th, a monologue. Thank you for reminding me. Oh, wait. Oh, that's why I had the wrong day. August 26th on a Sunday. Thanks, Jason. I needed that. Thanks, man. We're having a square dance party in here. So, you're going to show up expecting a Bible study, and it ain't happening. You can study Jay's dancing, and that'll be our study. So, bring your friends. Um, It's also going to be a potluck. And so, I love potlucks. Um, Please bring fried chicken. I really like that. August 26th, we'll be here. So, that's why you need emails, because we're changing things up like that. Um, Today, uh, just grab your Bible. Open it up to Acts chapter 16. We're looking at four verses, verses 11 through 15. Four verses today, um, and, and it's a really good section. So if, if you haven't been coming here, the way we do teaching is expository teaching. We go verse by verse. We've been going through the book of Acts for a year and a half now. My notes are thick on all the messages we've given. We're about halfway through, and we're in middle of the story. And why I like Acts so much is this is is a bunch of people like us trying to figure out how to do church. Like, it it was great and grand when Jesus was on the scene, right? Like, just follow the commands. Like, Jesus is leading the way. And then Jesus leaves, and he leaves this Holy Spirit to guide his church to figure out what to do. Sounds like a whole lot like church project. And the thing that's been really encouraging me in Acts, in this portion of Acts, and we see it multiple times, is we see the apostles, people that walked with Jesus... We see disciples, multiple times it says, they did what seemed right to God and the Holy Spirit. Like, they didn't know for sure. It seemed like the right thing to do, and they really had to trust the Holy Spirit to guide them through and to live life. Sounds a lot like me. It sounds like a lot like us today. And so when we're studying the book of Acts, like this is, this is so important for us. It's, it's the blueprint of how the church did it, and I think it's also a blueprint of what God's saying how to do church as we move forward. So let's jump in the middle of the story. The middle of the story right now that we find ourselves in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 15, is Paul just went on his second missionary journey, and now two groups of people have gone two different directions. As this gospel message, this good news message, is making its way from Jerusalem To the ends of the earth. And so we have two different groups of people. And the story that we're jumping into is Paul telling about the beginning part of his second missionary journey to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. So this is the beginning of the story. Let uh, let me read uh, Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. Then we'll go back and, and kind of look what God has for it. So from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Somotres. And the next day we went on to Neapolis, Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that di- of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. I actually want to pause right here. We'll get to the next part here in a little bit. But you um history buffs or people that like maps, you're going to love this. I really got lost in my study in this this week, so I think it's really cool to point out some things, okay? I've got way too big of a program with all sorts of resources and Bibles and concordances and maps, and so thank you, Lagos, for this today. Okay, here it is. Um, verse 11 and 12 talks about these two different cities that they started. They started from Troas, and they, they got in the sea, got in a boat, and sailed straight to Somothrace. And Somothrace, and I think we have some pictures, what I really hope to gather today um, for, for some of us is that this Bible's real. And this is real stuff. And get lost. I encourage you to get lost, like I did last night and this morning, even. And I took all these tangents of I want to investigate Somotrace and what it looked like. And Lauren, I found a great place for us to go visit. Like this is an incredible. It's an island. So okay, Somotrace. Um, its modern name is Somotraki. Did I say that right? Somotraki. Okay, that's what it's called. Now here's some here's some pictures of. Oh, it's kind of hard to see that, but. They, they travel. It takes them a day to get from Troas to here. And this, some, here's some facts about it. It's a beautiful mountainous island, um, which raises 5,500 feet above sea level. So you would see it. Ship, people on ships would use it as places to navigate. They could see us from a long ways away. It's the second highest mountain in the area, which is pretty cool. Um, and this island is about 20 miles in circumference. So it's kind of small, but decent size. Um, I already said it's the second um, tallest mountain in the Aegean Sea. Uh, Though it's not very populated, this island was famous for a powerful cult present. And so, Even Paul knew as they landed, like, there's a big cult present on this island, and that's what it was known for. And then history, if you want to follow it back, in about 200 AD, there was an earthquake on this island that destroyed their elaborate um, temple uh, from from this place right here. So there's some interesting facts about this island. Um, And when we're looking at this passage... It says that the winds took them really fast as they got in ship. And so because the winds were favorable, favorable in this joy, or voyage going this direction from Troas to this mountain, it only took Paul and his companions one day to reach this island and then one day to reach Macedonia, which is where previously, you know, God and the Holy Spirit had sent them to Macedonia. Later in Acts, in Acts chapter 20, you're going to see this exact same um, journey in reverse takes them five days to complete simply because of the wind and the direction the wind was blowing. Fun fact, huh? That's a fun fact. Uh, so we see this in Somotres. So I think there's another picture, and it might be hard to see as well. Like, look at that. That's why I want to go vacation there. That looks amazing. You see some of the temple right there, and oh, wow. So anybody else want to go? We're going there. Yeah. All right, now let's, now let's get a day later on their trip, their voyage. They end up in Philippi and in Macedonia, and I think we have some pictures here. They landed in Neapolis, this area, and then they walked about 10 miles inland to Philippi on one of the oldest Roman roads called the uh, e- Egantian Way. I probably said it wrong, but Egantian Way, everyone laughs. I practice these words, by the way, and then I get up here, and I can't even pronounce my name, so... You're used to it. Just, just deal with it, okay? Uh, this road is 696 miles long, which runs from the east to the west with Neapolis on the east side, and today, it's modern-day Albania and the Republic of Macedonia, Greece, and Turkey, and that's what this, this road kind of runs through, and some sections, uh, you can still see cobblestone sections of this road visible today. So there's that. And then I put this next picture on, which was might be hard to see in here as well. But, yeah, they had snow there on this road. That's crazy, huh? So... I want this Bible to come real because sometimes when I'm reading it, I'm like, yeah, this thing was in the middle of the desert, so far away, I have no idea what's going on, but they had seasons, they had real people, they had ships and camels and falafel and all that good stuff, and so I want this Bible to just come alive to us. What's interesting about this first section uh, that we read here in these first few verses is Luke is a physician. We know that. Luke is writing the uh, the book of Acts as a follow-up to Luke, and he's given a detailed account. Well, he's a physician. He better give a detailed account. Anyone want Luke or some a, a doctor operating on you when they're not detailed? Like, this is Luke. It's his personality, and so I think that's why he writes into Acts so much detail, like the names of the ports they arrive to and where they go from and how long it took them to get there. Like, it's very, very detailed, and I also want us to note, as we're reading this, that that Luke is still using the we language. Did you see that? Did you pick up on that? Up until this point, it's like this narrative that Luke's writing about. And then there's a few chapters where you jump in and Luke is using the we narrative, which says what? He's probably on the journey with Paul during this time as well. And last week, no one knows, I wasn't there, but I kind of said, maybe Luke is on this journey because Paul, as we read about in scripture, Paul had this affliction or this thorn in the side that we read about often. And some commentarians and smarter people than me say maybe it was he was very sick. And it would make sense that if that if Paul battled some sickness, some say it was ongoing diarrhea. Ouch. Or whatever it may be, he may have actually asked Luke, go on this journey with me. I need a physician. Doesn't that make sense? Like, wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. I love when the Bible jumps open and we can just kind of look and study and go to different places. So there you go for verses 11 and 12. Let's get on to verse 13, because I think this is the thrust of what God has for us personally. Besides wanting us all to go on vacation together Go to this wonderful place. I think today, um, verses 13 through 15 is going to hit us. So let me read these. On the Sabbath, after they've already gone to this beautiful island and traveled up this beautiful road, they made it. On the Sabbath, they went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Oh, here we go again. Thyatria, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. I think it's interesting, and you take note of Paul, Where he's been and where he's going, there's a format that he usually always follows when he can, and that's when he goes to a new city, the first thing he does is he goes to a synagogue first. He goes to a people that's already going to know about Jesus and see things the way he does, and he kind of sets up base and works out from that point. I think it's interesting when you look here that there's no synagogue. There's no place to go. Like, he's so far out there that there's not thousands of people worshiping Jesus and meeting in synagogues. He's, that's how far out their journey has taken him already. And what's also interesting to know is there's no synagogue means there's very few resident Jewish people. Very few. In order to have a synagogue in this time, you only needed 10 men, 10 men to constitute having a synagogue. What's messed up as It didn't matter how many women you had. You could have about 100 Jewish women, but you had to have 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue. So what this tells you, as you can kind of imply and read into, I wasn't there. I don't know. I know there wasn't 10 men, or else they would have had a synagogue. I don't know if there was 200 women. Who knows? But Paul shows up. He, he, there's no synagogue. And so what does he do? He goes outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. He expected to find a place of prayer. Well, how did, how did they expect to find a place of prayer? I feel like it was the God-fearing Jews and the Gentiles in this area was making up this whole area, and who knows how many women were there and how many, you know, were God-fearing and how many were Jewish, but there was enough word of mouth in this place that they knew that this place by the river existed. So God's moving enough already and and directing Paul to go to where they expected to find a place of prayer. God was already moving before Paul got there. Now that's a small fact. And you can look at that and you can just kind of jump over that and miss the point that God was already moving Before Paul got on a ship with his companions, went to the island, went another day, got on a 10-mile road, walked all the way up there, looked around, and saw that there weren't even 10 men in the city that believed that were God-fearing, that were Jewish people. But yet, they know that God was moving because we find him here going to this place by the river. God was already moving before he got there. What does this mean? Whoa. To me? To me? I ask, where is God already moving in your life? What is God already doing, though you might not find 10 Jewish men there? What is God already doing? He's already going before you. He's already marching ahead of you. He's already a month, six months, a year down the line in your history. He's already in tomorrow. Our job is to show up into our new city called tomorrow. We've never been there. Humbly look around and ask God, what are you doing in this city? Holy Spirit, direct me somewhere because it's not clear. I've never been here before. And God is already moving in that city and directs Paul and his companions. Don't you think he's doing the same thing in our life? That yet we can wake up tomorrow morning saying, I've already been here, I already know this, I already have my schedule, I already know what I'm doing, and have no regard for God or the Holy Spirit, and just start marching about our day like we've already been there and we've already done that. And I say, whoa, we've never been there. God may not want us to go to that synagogue tomorrow morning. He may want us to go to a river tomorrow morning. He may be doing new things in our life tomorrow, and we're just expecting him to act like he's always acted in the past. Church, we're going to look the same way we will today, next week, if we're not trusting on God to lead us, grow us, and make us more like him. Paul had to rely on the Holy Spirit to take him places he had never been. And we have to do the same today and tomorrow. This is a huge encouragement for a lot of us in this realm because we don't know the future. Some of us may know the current state, and it may be filled with a lot of pain and a lot of despair, and we don't have a lot of hope. We didn't get a lot of sleep. That medical report came back bad. Our finances are tight. Whatever it looks like in your life. This is an encouragement to us that God's already in the future. He's he's already moving. He's already there. His promises are true. And we can take him at his promises that he loves us and he's going to direct our future, that he's God of that. And to me, I say, amen. Like, we can trust him. Okay? Let's go to verse 14. One of these listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira. Thyatira. Named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth, she was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of the household were baptized, she invited us into our home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay with me at my house. In verse 14, we see that she's from Thyatira. If I say it enough, we'll get it right, okay? Thyatira, okay? What we do know is we can kind of look and we can study this is that she possibly came from Thyatira. Yeah, I'm getting it. From a Jewish community there. Like she maybe already had some experience from the town that she was at when she comes to this area. But we do know she was probably on a business trip because she's a dealer in purple cloth or purple linen. And this, this Thyatira, if you want to study and research it, is known for the place where this was made. And so she's from there, she might have been possibly part of a Jewish community there, but now she finds herself here, and she's not a convert yet. She, her, God, her heart hasn't been opened, so she's referred to as a God-fearing woman. So maybe she had some really good morals, maybe she was living like a follower of Christ, like maybe on the outside, you look at her and go, she's got it all together. She's a good person. The fact is, God had not drawn her yet to himself. And so she is a God-fearing woman. She's on a business trip um, selling purple cloth, which is a really big deal. And I wonder, as we look here in a minute, if God was already preparing her heart by her vocation. Her vocation is dealing with purple cloth from this city, coming here, now selling it. It's a big deal because purple was usually sold to royalty. So in her vocation, was God already preparing her heart for this missing piece? Like she needs a savior and someone royal to come into her life? Her vocation's already opening it up. Her experience is already possibly part of a Jewish community over here. But her heart had not been opened yet. A lot like you and me. I mean... Can you think back? And maybe you've still yet to encounter it, and I pray for you, but a lot like you and me, I can think back in my life, especially around third grade, when it was like God just opened my heart and opened my eyes to how much he loved me and how deprived I am and how much sin I have in my life, and it just flooded me. Like, more than anything, it was just I, God scared the hell out of me. I'm like, hell? I don't want to go there. Like, what's that? But he began to open my heart and just compel me and drive me and show me how much he loved me. Can you think back in your life to the point that God opened your heart? You know, I don't know what your theology is. If you're a super fancy Calvin person, Calvinist person, or an Arminian, (sighs) have fun with that conversation. I've been on both sides of the fence on that. So let's talk, let's get coffee. I'll debate either side. Just tell me what side you want me to be on and I'll go on the other side and we'll have a great conversation. Here's what I do know how God moves. I have no idea. That's what I do know. The spirit moved and I think one of the most brilliant brilliant prayers we could ever pray and the most awesome theology we could ever have, our prayer could look like this. God. I don't know why I got that cancer report. I don't even know how to pray for that. God, that could be the most brilliant prayer we could ever pray, because what words could we utter that actually expresses what's going on in here? God. And I think that could be our best theology, too. I don't know about this dude, Calvin. He sounded like a cool guy. I don't know about Armenian stuff. I don't, I'm not sure. God, help me work this out and be smart and study my Bible. But here's my theology, God. God is my theology. And I don't know how some things work. It's a mystery. God draws. How did he open my heart? I have no idea. It wasn't Jerry Ashida. It might have been because he's a weird dude and he was my youth pastor. It God used him and it might have been truly. But it was God. God opens our heart. God is our theology. And as I was reading this, I came across a commentary in Matthew Henry, and he's an old, brilliant guy. And this, this is what Matthew Henry writes about this section, when Lydia's heart was opened by God. He says, when the heart is thus opened to God, the ear is open to his word, and the lips are opened in prayer, and the hand opened in charity, and the steps enlarged in all manner of gospel obedience. Like when God interacts with you, he interacts with your whole life, with your mind, your hands, your ears, and even in your obedience. He says, I'm gonna make you to look more like me every day. Well, we better get to verse 15. I wanna jump all the way down to the end here in verse 15. It says the very last four words in my Bible says, and she pursued us. What does yours say? and persuaded, sorry, thanks, Jay, I need you here, man. She persuaded us. We know, just looking at her, looking at this area and doing our history research, that she probably had a large home. She was probably pretty wealthy. She's dealing in purple linen and cloth, and if she persuaded them enough, which means she had a large enough home to persuade them to come to. So she's probably pretty wealthy. And what we see here is right after her heart is opened was, say, her whole household came to know God. Is that passionate? Like she, she, it couldn't be contained. And again, her whole household, she could have people that are cleaning. And it's not just family members. Her whole household came to know God. And what she did was she engaged in the church full on and served with all her might from the get-go. God opened her heart and from the get-go, She's like, "Hey household, let me tell you about God." And hey, you people that told me, "Come to my house." Like, "I oh, you please come to my house." And it and it she had to persuade them. It wasn't like, "Yeah, we're coming." Like she stayed, she stayed with it. "Come to my house." She was engaged and she wanted to serve however she could. She used whatever tools she had to advance the gospel. And I wonder if in her compelling actions to get Paul and the disciples to come, I wonder if it reminded Paul of Jesus. Like, Paul's there. He's on this journey. And if I wonder, Lydia's passion and compelling reminded Paul of Jesus because Paul walked with Jesus. And he's like, man, this woman won't give up. This woman's persuading us. And Paul found rest during his journey at Lydia's house. And it probably reminded him of when he found rest, sitting with Jesus as he walked with him. And Paul's life was changed as he sat with Jesus, and Paul's on this journey, and Lydia's Lydia's saying, come to my house, and Paul gets rest on this long journey, and his life is changed. And I wonder if Paul's smiling at Lydia, saying, dude, that's what happened to me too. Like I was on a road, and God jacked me up. And my life was changed. And now he's looking at Lydia going, Dudette, that happened to me. Awesome. Because of Jesus. This is probably a very encouraging break in Paul's long journey. And it probably reminded Paul of what it was like when he was walking with Jesus. In church, that's the ultimate thrust of this passage for us. It's to point to Jesus, to remind us of this journey, that it's real. There's actual roads with snow on them, really cool mountains I want to vacation on. But God used those mountains to compel people to him. And he's using Greeley to compel us to him. I think it's with that all we can do is participate in communion today. I'm going to invite Weston to come up and lead us In communion, let me pray for us. God, thank you for today. Man, Jesus, thank you for compelling us and opening our heart to you. I don't get it. I don't know how, but you've done it and you continue to do it. And God, I thank you for that. Thank you for moving time and space for us to show us how much you love us, to give us love that we've never deserved and to compel us to you. God, I pray as we continue to worship, you'll remind us who you are and who we are in you. Thank you for bringing us here today. In your name we pray, amen.